Congratulations, you have found episode four of the GasCast on Citizen Sounder. I'm your host, Mike Gastineau, and we have a terrific GasCast planned for you uh, uh, today. You, you really should, should congratulate yourself again just for downloading it. You're going to really enjoy our conversation. John Strong, I can't remember when I met John Strong, but I met him a few years back, uh, and I always like talking soccer with him. Uh, he is uh, uh, on FS1, one of the voices of MLS soccer, and John always is fun because he's got good opinions, or interesting opinions, I should say, whether you agree with them or not. He generally is pretty well thought out and pretty interesting, and we'll have some some conversation with him in just a few minutes about, uh, among other things, the U.S. men's national team, uh, which is kind of taken front and center over the next few days, and uh, as you, you may remember from GasCast number two, I think it was, Jonathan Tannewald and I just pretty much verbally beat up uh, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, the uh, head coach of the USM uh, uh, men's national team. One of the things I've been down on Coach Klinsmann about is, and this goes back a while now, but his whole thing about, well, we can't win the World Cup, we've got to face facts. And I just, I, I, I realize that he's not necessarily speaking a falsehood. But I think to help build the sport in America, it's time to stop using phrases like that. You don't have to guarantee me a win. Tell me we're going to be competitive. I think if, if, if I'm the head coach of the U.S. team, I think, or you know, forget it. If I'm a fan of the U.S. team, which I am, that's the least I'm expecting. Tell me we can be competitive with anybody, whether we can beat them or not. Let, let's find out. But uh, anyway, so long-winded point to get to here is that I like that, that uh, Klinsman has said that these matches against Guatemala, the goal is to get six points, to win both matches of the home and home. Now, getting six points from Guatemala isn't the same as saying you can play with any team in the World Cup. But nonetheless, this is, I believe, the attitude the U.S. team should have. It is time to start thinking in those terms, especially in matches uh, like this. Uh, so we'll talk to John a little bit uh, about that and about uh, Copa America, which is uh, coming to uh, the U.S. and specifically to Seattle, three matches in Seattle in June. We'll get John's thoughts on how big that's going to be. I also want to talk to him about officiating. And you know, everybody's all mad. Mark Geiger, the referee last week. And hey, why did he come to Seattle just to screw the Sounders? What was the agenda there? You know, going back to the the long time stretch I spent at KJR, I've been fairly consistent about this over the years, and that is, I you know, you can bitch about officiating after every game in every sport. You can always find something where your team got screwed, especially if you lose. Funny how when you win, nobody ever talks about the officiating. Uh, and and you know, I would always fall back and say, yeah, I thought the two calls were pretty sketchy. I thought one of them actually was really sketchy. I thought both of them you could make an argument on. But that still leaves you an awful lot of time if you're the Sounders to find a way around this. And I and people say, well, yeah, but if the officials are against you, man, yeah, but you got to find a way to make it. So you take the officials out of the game. Be so good that you take the officials out of the game. And that's that's sometimes easier said than done. And if the calls had gone the Sounders way, maybe we'd be talking about a good result here instead of something that we referred to last week with Peter Fewing, which is, okay, now you're 0-3, and the season is not lost. There's still a lot ahead of you. But there is that fine line between, oh, it's early, and no, it's officially a bad start, and a bad start can be hard to dig out of. Uh, Sounders in a little bit of a precarious position. Maybe this break, for although a lot of them are going to, to international games this weekend, but maybe this break as a team will be a good one. I think we tend to forget that actually they started working out together in, in, in mid-January, and it's been a long stretch. Maybe a little break will do everybody good. Sounders have, uh, have, have, have got to get, uh, get their poop in a group pretty quick because you've got Montreal coming in. Let's say you lose that. Now you got to go to a Houston team that's been off to a decent start. It, you know, I have to draw it out. I mean, you, you can things can come unraveled pretty quickly, and fans are upset. Uh, uh, everybody's mad right now, and we'll uh, 
we'll discuss officiating. Back to the officiating thing. I want to talk to John about uh, I've I've never understood why soccer isn't having more active talks about adding another referee, putting a second referee out there. The NHL did this years ago. The NHL got to a point where the fans were upset with the officiating, and it was very similar to soccer. When you go to an NHL match in the old days, there's a referee and there's two linesmen. The linesmen can't call penalties. Only the referee can. So you had a situation where guys missed stuff because they you could only see so much. And that's on a hockey rink, which is 200 feet by 53 or 200 by 70, something like that. A soccer pitch is gigantic by comparison, and you've got one guy who's supposed to see every foul. I think it's ludicrous. I think they definitely should consider adding, whether it's an eye in the sky using replay or a second set of legs and eyes on the ground. And 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 this is something, and I know there's probably FIFA things and everything, but maybe MLS needs to, to think about taking a leadership role and saying, look, before our fans lose faith in the officiating of the match, let, let's make an attempt to make it better. Look at baseball. Baseball has four guys out there officiating every game, umpiring every game. And then when it comes to the playoffs, they add two more. They get, let's get two more. Let's put a guy down each line. Let's have six sets of eyeballs watching everything. No sport's perfect. You're never going to catch every call. But uh, I, I think soccer, for as ginormous as the playing field is, th- there's no excuse to, to just have one guy. And particularly in a, in a, in a league that's, that's, that's based in America, that has a TV deal. I know MLS teams are going to tell you they're not flush with cash, but they could afford to hire another 15 or 20 officials to make this happen and say, look, let's, let's get two referees out there so there's at least a better ex- a better chance that they're going to catch things. So, all right, let's kick the soapbox out of the way. We'll ask John more about that later and probably talk to him about those Weasley Portland Timbers as well. Our uh, Citizen Sounder GasCast uh, uh, fan feature this week, and we do this on the website each week, featuring featuring you, you know, the people that make up the fabric of this great community. We could do a fan feature on Peter Fewing. The, 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 that visit last week was terrific with him, and I encourage you to check it out if you haven't. But that kind of thing, the, the, the idea of people that have been long involved in the soccer community up here. And uh, our, our feature this week is a, a, a gentleman named Joey Akamatsu. You may not know the name, but if you played Corex soccer in Seattle, you probably know the team he was on, Tsunami. They're legendary within the soccer community. I think 24 years they fielded a team. The team has gone its separate ways now, but almost everyone who was involved with that great Corex team is involved in the sport in some way or another to this day within Seattle, whether it's in youth leagues or supporting the Sounders. Joey Akamatsu, we talked to him, and the, the whole feature can be, uh, can be uh, grabbed at the website, citizensounder.com. But when asked what soccer means to him, he just goes with the basics. Soccer's been an important part of my life and um, taught me a lot about showing up regularly to things and uh, structure and uh, friendship and the importance of being there for for other people and the uh, role you play in society. I was an anthropology major. Uh, yeah, uh, the role you play in society and um, um, so even though it's a small recreational team I was playing with, with the tsunami in Seattle, it still was, you know, a huge part of my life, you yeah. know. Um, and not surprising, I'm still friends with some of those people. And, yeah. Joey Akamatsu, who played on uh, Tsunami, Corex Soccer. I don't know if he played all 24 years the team existed, but I'll tell you what, 24 years for a, for a, a rec league team of any kind to exist is is fairly impressive. Reach out and contact us at citizensounder.com if you'd like uh, your team or somebody that you play with to be featured 
uh, in a, an upcoming fan feature. All right, episode four of the Gas Cast on Citizen Sounder continues uh, right now, and, and arguably the biggest star we, we've been we've been graced with uh, on on these fine shows, uh, John Strong, uh, who uh, covers MLS for FS1 and has been around the game for years and years. John, a pleasure to talk to you again. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. I, uh, you know, I'll insert some sort of sarcastic joke about how high a bar you've been able to set through four episodes, and I'm the biggest deal you brought on. But uh, you know, you're, you're right. You come to think of it, when you, when you bring up the other people we've had on, we've actually had several. We had Pete Fewing on last week. He's a much bigger star than you. So I, I don't know what I was thinking when I, when I said <laughs> Pete. Pete's a legend in his own time. Whether he's he seems far too humble to ever realize it. it but it's, uh, it's true. yeah, he was. He, he goes back a long ways in this stuff. Hey, you're in New York, and you and I were talking beforehand. I want you to, to, to tell our listeners on the GasCast what you're doing, because I kind of said, hey, what are you out there doing? And then the answer blew me away. So g- give us the, the little 60-second synopsis of why you're in the Big Apple. Yeah, there's this thing called the FIFA Interactive World Cup, and it's something they've been doing. It's actually 12 years old, but the last couple of years they've been doing a lot bigger. And FIFA and EA Sports with the FIFA video game, they sponsor a global tournament basically meant to be the world championship of you know, playing the FIFA video game. And I grew up playing it. I, it's obviously, millions of people around the world play this game. And uh, they had the finals in Rio two years ago in Munich last year. And this year, we're at the Apollo Theater in New York. And it's come down. There were 32 um, sort of ranging from teenagers to 30-year-olds from all corners of the globe that were brought in that on the Monday had you know, group stages. It's run like a regular World Cup at around the 16 and quarterfinals. And then tonight, they're going to be doing the semifinals, and then it's a two-leg final. There's a whole thing about whether you're playing it on the PlayStation 4 or the Xbox One. Um, and then they're producing it this year as part of a TV broadcast for FS1. So they, uh, a couple days ago, uh, called Alexi and I and said, hey, would you guys mind coming in, being part of the TV broadcast? So, yeah, I don't... This is the first time in my life I've ever like called a video game game, so I'm still not entirely sure how it's going to go. But uh, it should be a lot of fun. It's neat being here in New York at the Apollo Theater, and and this is um, you know see for these kids, this is a massive, massive thing. So it's kind of a fun deal. You mentioned the thing that would have hooked me, and I don't know anything about video games, so I'd be the wrong guy for this gig. But boy, would I love to do something at the Apollo! What a what a cool feeling that must be to to work that building. This is incredibly surreal. I was talking to a guy uh, who's helping us with our audio who's been working here since 1989 when he was a 14-year-old, he said. And he was taking me through all the photographs on his phone and all these different events that they've done. There's a uh, just beyond the stage. There's a wall where all these acts have all signed over the years. And, you know, you try to pick out different, you know, signatures and and who you can sort of recognize and things. And, yeah, this is a world-famous place, so... I get on a list of sort of surreal things I didn't think I would be doing in my career. Uh, a, calling a video game world championship, and B, being at the Apollo are sort of two right in one. John Strong is with us uh, from the Apollo Theater in New York. Maybe maybe you are the biggest deal we've ever had. Hey, I, so, so, <laughs> right place, right time. <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm glancing at the at the list of things. I'm like, all right, what are we going to talk to? What's the big story in the MLS? And then I'm like, oh my God, the Sounders are zero three. I think that's the biggest story right now in MLS. We're obviously biased because it's right here, but uh, maybe as you look in the rearview mirror and you think, boy, Obafemi Martins, I mean, everybody understands why he left, but and, and people were excited. Now Jordan Morris can step right in. Oh, it's going to be exciting. And I don't think anybody real, you know, expected Morris to take Martins' place right away. But I also don't think any of us really realized what a big hole Oba's departure was was going to leave. What's what's your view of the Sounders from from kind of afar in this 0-3 start? 
well, certainly surprising. I mean, this is this is one of the big clubs. This is one of the big teams full of quality players, um, and this is not a team you would expect to be starting in an 0-3 hole. And I think it's it's sort of hard to parse out. You know, on the one hand, there's the overreaction to being in an 0-3 hole, and you want to freak out, and you say, okay, listen, it's a very long season. We've seen this for teams start poorly and recover. On the other hand, though, what you don't want to do is go too far in that regard and not be addressing you know, things that are going wrong that need to be changed, that need to be different. And and yeah, part of it perhaps was inevitable. Obafemi Martins, for a guy that, you know, for whatever reason, never really was seen as like the, the caliber of megastar league-wide, as perhaps his numbers showed he should have been. I mean, he averaged a goal every other game. And the Sounders record when he scored as compared to when he didn't play is just ridiculous. And so to lose him, to lose him, as late as they did in preseason, to lose him at a time when they're changing a formation uh, and when there's going to be a transition period. Uh, and then, yeah, as you rightly say, to have Jordan Morris coming in with a lot of hype, a lot of excitement, and someone who is not a typical rookie, uh, he's never going to be able to step right into Oba's shoes and, and, and produce on that level. That's just not the type of player he is. It's also unrealistic for a guy that's still very young in his career. And so, you know, when we talked with the Sounders a couple weeks ago and Garth Lagerway and Ziggy Schmidt, it was sort of this long-term thing of we think we can make up the goals that Ova scored just by committee. Uh, no one's going to score his volume. And we just we, what the focus seemed to be was getting that world-class chance creator so that you could have a bunch of different guys scoring six, seven, eight goals and make it up that way. Um, you know, and I, I think this is an organization that that tends to get it, you know, led by Adrian Hanauer, isn't emotional, doesn't panic, sees the long-term vision. But I think at the same time, what you want to make sure you don't do is go too far where you are sort of slipping behind the chasing pack. We've seen how tight it is in the Western Conference the last two, three years, and you end up by the summer, you know, being in too deep of a hole to be able to dig out of. John, everybody up here is, is still screaming about the, the two penalty calls uh, and, and, and the, the opportunity they afforded Vancouver. Uh, rather than talk about the calls themselves and, and what you thought of them, I, I wonder if, if you've given thought or if you've heard people given thought. One of the things that strikes me as interesting about soccer, as, as a guy who's you know kind of come to it late and I, I watch it and I enjoy it, and and everybody it seems is always complaining about the officiating. One thing I would say is, I think the sport is poorly officiated for one reason, and that is. It's the largest surface area of any sport, and we still let just one guy and his set of eyes determine so much of what happens out there. You know, And I would compare it to the NHL, and they, 10 years ago, added a second referee to say, look, you know what, we need another set of eyes out there to call penalties. Is there ever any talk about that within soccer, the idea that, look, it's, or even within MLS, to say, look, let, let's let's lead the way here. Let's add a second guy to call penalties. Or would that blow everybody's mind too much to even consider that? No, I, 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 think, I think it needs to be a very serious discussion. I think officiating in all sports is getting harder. The athletes are getting bigger and stronger and faster. The game is getting quicker. Everyone else has now, you know, on any given TV broadcast, you've got two dozen high-definition slow-motion replays of any different event from every possible angle. And the referees are the same. Their eyes aren't getting better. Their fitness is not improving at the same level as the athletes are. Uh, in every sport you go to, it is getting a lot harder to referee the game. And so the question is, how do you adapt and deal with it? Is that like in the NHL, adding a second referee? Is it like in Major League Baseball, 
kicking and screaming, at least, trying to add in some instant replay, and really across all sports, adding an instant replay. I think it's important. I think you need to keep pace with the times. And I think if you have technology available to you, and if it doesn't substantially change the game, but it allows you to get particularly your objective black and white calls correct, I don't think there's any compelling argument not to do that. Um, I, I get incredibly bored with the arguing about referees after games. I don't like that it becomes a knee-jerk thing for a coach or for players, rather than sometimes to be able to stand up and say, you know what, we didn't play well, we didn't make mistakes. It becomes too easy for them to blame the referee, and that becomes too much of a talking point for fans and for us as journalists, to be honest. I would rather that the calls that we can get right, we get right, and the focus afterwards is more about who played well and who didn't. Now, does that mean putting in some instant replay? I think there's a way to do that. The amount of time it takes for players to crowd around the referee and angrily yell at him about a penalty decision or a red card, that would give us time to look at it and ideally be able to say pretty quickly, yeah, that's absolutely right or wrong. Or if we're not entirely sure, then the call stands as is. You know, as far as adding more bodies out there, I wouldn't have any objection to that. As you said, with hockey, and there always are similarities between soccer and hockey and their rhythms, um, you know, having a second, because there are times when sometimes the call is missed because the referee is 40 yards behind the play because a quick long ball, you've got an Olympic track spin, sprinter uh, type speed forward that's running the other way, and the referee can't catch up. And I think one of the challenges, yeah, is soccer, like baseball, is, is sort of steeped in tradition, but to a point where you just, you've got a lot of people that, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to change. They don't want to advance, you know, and, and are just sort of bizarrely against these types of things. And honestly, one of the different dynamics in soccer is that, you know, MLS has said multiple times, we're more than happy to introduce this stuff. You guys want to replay us to do it. The problem is it's FIFA. It's the world. And as much as, yes, there was a cachet in the FIFA scandal as, as the American Justice Department came in, I think it is very difficult for Americans to go into that conversation and say, hey, why don't we do this? I think there is a natural sort of rejection of anything we have to say. So these are all very, very valid conversations, and I would love to see it get better, as I said, so that the, the focus post-game isn't on the referees, and it's more about the players. Hey, you don't like it was a penalty call? Well, don't fly in on that tackle then from behind. Right. And that is the discussion, more so than blaming a referee who oftentimes – is in a no-win scenario. No, I really agree with your last point there. I've, I've always said that about every sport, is that even if we agree that last Saturday night there were two bad calls, that means there was 93 and a half other minutes where the Sounders could have done something to, to, to make exactly. it right. Exactly, and, and sometimes too, you know, it's, it's and not specifically to that game, but okay, there was, you know, one goal scored in the game, or, or the, like the game that we did, which was Kansas City and Toronto, and the one goal that was scored, it's a 50-50 call. Did Brad Davis foul Justin Morrow or not, which allowed him to get the ball, which allowed him to score? Well, how about all the rest of the game when Toronto put 15 shots off target, didn't even hit the target, or the two times when, you know, they hit it right at the goalkeeper? I mean, there is so much else which is within your control as a player, specifically even as a coach, and it just it, it becomes too easy a thing to just distract from your own being able to, as opposed to coming out saying, you know, we lost because we screwed up, to just sort of blame the referee. And then, yeah, it sort of builds this negativity that ends up just being counterproductive, I think. John Strong from FS1 is our guest on the Gas Cast. Let me ask you a couple of things about uh, the, the U.S. team. Uh, it's a big weekend. They've got a, a home and home with Guatemala as they get into the qualifying stage for, for, for World Cup. And, uh, you, you know, Jurgen Klinsmann, and I, 
you know, I've been critical of him for some of the things he said. I, I, I like that he's willing to put a flag in the ground about this weekend and say, look, we want to take six points. That That's the goal this weekend. And, and none of this, we can't compete or we don't have a chance. Let's go get six points. Uh, how, how doable is that? Well, this is where it's funny, because on the one hand, on paper, the U.S. is far better than Guatemala. They just aren't. Right. Guatemala is not on their level. And the U.S., you know, if we're going to be one of the better teams in the world, that means we should have no problem beating Guatemala. You know, if we're going to be competing with Mexico, if we're going to be competing at this Copa America in June with Argentina and Brazil, we should be able to win two games against Guatemala. The other side of it, though, is that it is very difficult to, to deal with these teams. Uh, you're going to have a team that in both legs is going to sit very, very defensive and just try to ugly the game up and make it as impossible as they can for really any soccer to be played. Um, games in Central America are tough. You've got, you've got, you know, sometimes tough weather conditions, whether it's the heat, uh, sometimes the altitude. You've got stadiums with a very intense atmosphere. You've got people keeping you up in the middle of the night, uh, making noise. I've heard all kinds of great stories. You've got all kinds of fun items being thrown at you from the stands. I mean, it, there are always other elements that go into playing these games, which sort of remove it from just a straight up on paper, yeah, we're better than them. So I think, you have to sort of look at both sides. On the one hand, absolutely. The U.S. needs to be making short work of these two games. Don't go into the games in September precariously. Have it set. Know you're going through. Use the September games as an opportunity, maybe to get some other guys some minutes, right. or at least not to be scrambling. Because the worst possible thing that can happen for the growth of the sport of this country is for the U.S. to fail to qualify for a World Cup, which, by the way, four years ago at this same stage, they almost did. On the final day of this semifinal stage, they were losing at home to Guatemala, and they were on their way out before even the final round, and they turned it around in the second half. And that's the other side of it we have to keep in mind. It's not easy. You can't just expect to roll the ball out and to win these games. And it takes commitment. It takes a good game plan. It takes fight. It takes the right mentality. And my hope, when some of those things have been not great from the U.S. the last year or two. My hope is that maybe we can start to see the tide turning a little bit where the U.S. can get back to just doing what they're supposed to do. I met uh, yesterday in Seattle with a guy who was in town in uh, advance of the uh, Copa American uh, uh, matches that will be held here in June. There will be three in Seattle. Do you have a feel yet for how well this tournament is going to be embraced, as is often the case in America, and not with the diehard soccer fans, but with the casual fans? There's going to be some selling and some explaining, hey, this is what this is, this is what this means. Do you sense people will embrace it in this country? No, I think it's going to blow the doors off. I really do. I mean, it's but, but you're right. It's a funny thing that that in the weeks leading up to this tournament, I think there are going to be a lot of people that by the end of the tournament are going to be all about it. That at the beginning of the tournament are sort of going to be like, what is this? Why do I care? I mean, right. think about last year with the Women's World Cup. I don't know how much there was a worldwide grip or, or countrywide, sorry, grip of anticipation for the opening of the Women's World Cup. And yet by the end of it, we had this massive record. TV audience to watch the final as the U.S. beat Japan. That's how these things sort of are. They they build and they grow on their own. They take a life of their own. But I think even though you still have to sell, even though it is still the, the, their, the core of hardcore avid soccer fans is so relatively small, every year you go forward, every time you have a big tournament, the, the available pool of people who would be inclined enough to get interested keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I think the fact that tournaments in the U.S., the fact that as much as it is, yeah, okay, it's a Copa America and it's sort of the special edition, 
It's the U.S., it's Mexico, it's Brazil, it's mm-hmm. Argentina, it's Lionel Messi, it's Neymar. That type of stuff, to even very casual sports fans in this country, as opposed to 10, 20 years ago, they get that. They know what that means. And so I think, and some of it's incumbent upon how the U.S. does, getting off to a good start, that always helps. But I think as the ratings for the last Men's World Cup showed after the U.S. was knocked out, there, there's a large, broad-based interest in other teams, too. And some of it, you know, again, I'm here at the... FIFA Interactive World Cup, the FIFA video game has a huge role to play in that. A lot of people who, through playing video games, they know who these stars and who these teams are. So I'm really confident in saying that this thing's going to be insane. It'll, it'll start wherever it starts. It'll build over time over the course of a month. But but a lot of people, I think, and, and sometimes it's sort of optimistic hyperbole, I think it's legit, though, are saying this is going to be the biggest thing soccer-wise that we've seen since the 94 World Cup. I think that, I mean, I've heard some people suggest this could be the biggest sporting event held in America since the, the, the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City. Obviously, it's very subjective and it takes a lot, but um, this is going to be a very, very big deal. I know all of us that are going to be a part of it at Fox are beyond excited for it to get going. Speaking of big deals, John, and before we let you go and, and get back to prepping for your big gig at the Apollo Theater, um, when you're not at the Apollo Theater, you're not traveling all over the world to, to cover sports for uh, or to cover soccer for FS1. Uh, you, you're based out of uh, out of Portland. What's uh, what's the last few months been like down there in in in, in the wake of, of just a thrilling run to the MLS Cup and the, that, that amazing match in the first round against Sporting Kansas City and 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 certainly up here. A lot of envious eyes looking that way about uh, them able to get the cup. Hey, the, the profile down there for the sport is terrific, and, and certainly the support is terrific, but has it increased a little bit with the championship? Are there, are there more casual fans getting interested? No, I absolutely think it has. You know, And, and the comparison are the rolling some big heavy bins past right now. I, the, the comparison I make is this. When the Portland Trailblazers – uh, came as an NBA expansion franchise in 1970. They were sort of seen as a, as a distant second big deal to the minor league baseball and hockey teams that were in the city at the time that had a much more established following. You know, basketball is such a regional sport in 1970. Things are very different now, obviously. But it was winning the title in 1977. That's what made the Blazers, to a large extent, what they are in Portland now. I mean, and and something unique to Portland, I think, that we do this, but also the fact they haven't won it since. I don't know that there are too many other cities in this country where a championship won in 1977 has as much cachet in 2016 as it does for the Blazers in Portland. But it was because... Winning is, you know, and winning a championship and seeing the celebrations, it sort of sweeps through everyone. And so, my hope, I, I think it's it's impossible and and just not really smart to try to do apples and apples comparisons between the the Timbers and the Blazers talking about Portland. However, my hope is that over time, this MLS Cup can be seen as being the same thing as it got the Timbers for as as big as the fan base already was, and for as amazing as the atmosphere already was. It got the Timbers on a lot of people's radar. Winning a championship does that, particularly through a stretch where, you know, we have we've been sort of started other championships in Portland. And I know the Timbers have felt really encouraged over the last few months. Just you know, people of different demographics or different types of people than they had used to see being interested in the Timbers, interested in tickets, interested in buying things. All of a sudden, are now doing that. And I think it's really exciting. And I think regardless of the dynamic between Portland and Seattle, at the end of the day, we're all in this to a certain extent together. you know. And certainly that's, that's my viewpoint now. 
you know, as a national broadcaster for MLS, is anything that can happen to continue to raise the profile, I think is good. And I think, you know, a tile in Portland was good nationwide as well, because, um, you know, for to, to be able to see the celebrations and see the parades and see how much it mattered, I think that helps the reputation and the respectability of MLS as compared to there are plenty of cities where the MLS teams are less relevant and they win a championship and it's almost like no one notices. So I think it's a good thing. In the same way, I'm excited for when Seattle can lift the MLS Cup. I think to see what has already been an amazing seven years, eight years, to, to you know, what would that look like? What would the parade look like? What would the downtown celebration look like? I think that's good for the league to have its high-profile teams, to have its teams that are very relevant in their local markets, be able to be winning championships because it just it looks good, it looks big, it looks important. So I'll be excited to see as the season continues, you know, what sort of tangible signs they are. I'm incredibly excited. I mean, you know, it's going to ratchet up the first game against Seattle down in Portland. You know, they're going to have something to say on the TIFO, uh, and we're going to be carrying it on the Fox broadcast network, which will be which will be a hoot. So um, all as much as yes, if you're not a if you're a Sounders fan, seeing the Timbers lift a cup. Um, was a poke in the eye. Uh, that that makes total sense. I think from a broader standpoint, um, it provided some really good things, I think, for MLS as a whole, and, and hopefully it will continue to build up that fan base, which still has a long ways to go in Portland itself. It's always fun talking with you, John. I appreciate it. I know you're busy out there today. When is the, uh, when's the big video game championship air on FS1? This will be airing live, uh, what is it, Tuesday? Yeah, it's live Tuesday. <laughs> it's been a weird week. Uh, live Tuesday, it'll be on at, um, uh, what will be, 3 p.m. Pacific time on FS1. It'll be archived as well. It's, it's going out all over the globe uh, via FIFA's website. There's a couple different countries, including Sky Sports in the U.K. will be airing it live. So very fun thing. My hope is to not embarrass myself, and I appreciate your patience <laughs> with me today and my cell phone. Always great chat with you. Thank you for having me, Mike. Have a great time at the Apollo Theater, John. Thanks. Thanks. Take care. That wraps up Gas Cast number four uh, on uh, Citizen Sounder. Our guest, John Strong from FS1. And our thanks to him and thanks to you for listening to the Gas Cast. 